On this episode of Isolated But Not Alone, we're going to continue our discussion on the development of personality. On the last episode, we discussed Sigmund Freud and psychoanalytic theory and kind of how they saw an individual developing their personality. On that episode, we described how Freud defined health as a person who has functioning at a level where their reactions demonstrate an awareness that's appropriate of reality and that they had appropriate problem-solving strategies. We talked about the dynamic unconscious, stages of development, and transference. Freud saw people as divided between their biological qualities and their intellectual qualities. We talked about his concept of the mind and how he saw that we had id, ego, and superego, and how those drives reacted to each other. On this week's episode, we're going to dive into... Alfred Adler and individual psychology, and how Adler saw the human psyche and the development of personality. So stay tuned. Hi, this is James Raines, and you're listening to Isolated But Not Alone, a podcast that seeks to bring mental health awareness to rural and isolated communities. I just wanted to take this time let you know that this and other content produced by James Raines is not therapy and is not intended to be therapy or to replace therapy. Nothing in this podcast indicates or creates a therapeutic relationship. Please consult with your therapist or seek one in your area if you are experiencing any type of mental health symptoms. Nothing in this podcast should be construed as specific life advice and it is simply for the purpose of education. Welcome back to Isolated But Not Alone. I appreciate all my listeners tuning in and all the feedback that I get about my podcast episodes and potential topics for future episodes. I recently just got back from a prolonged road trip down to the south, and I spent 50 hours in a car. I drove through 11 states, multiple urban areas like Nashville, uh, Mobile, Alabama, Birmingham, Montgomery. Lexington, Cincinnati, Indianapolis, the list just goes on and on, St. Louis. And when you're in a car for that long, you often think about your life and think about your thoughts. And I heard an interesting neuroscientist on a TED Talk one time describe the philosopher Descartes and the statement that this philosopher made that is very famous, you might have heard it, but it goes along the lines of, I think therefore I am. And that's kind of how the human experience was defined, that we can think, we can think, we can think about ourselves, we can think about other people, we can think about the environment, but we have the ability to think, and that's what makes us human. And what this neuroscientist added was, is that he feels there's a different layer to that, because on some level, a lot of different organisms can think, they can process information. They can make decisions based on memory. And what this neuroscientist kind of said was, what makes humanity distinct isn't that we can think, it's that we can think about our thinking. We have the ability to analyze our thoughts. We have the ability as well to manipulate our thoughts. And I found that to be very profound because it's not just that we can think, it's we can analyze our thoughts. And I know a lot of times people downplay their thought patterns their process of thought, or they don't think about it at all. 
There was a famous phrase when I was a kid in like the late 80s, early 90s. You are what you eat. <laughs> that was the big phrase. It was like that time of like fitness fad and everybody was watching Christy Brinkley, Suzanne Summers. They were watching Richard Simmons, Jane Fonda, Tony Little. And there was this craze of like fad diets and fad exercise programs and equipment. And that phrase came about, you are what you eat. And I've totally stolen that phrase, but I changed it a little bit to, you are what you think. You are what you think. And there's a lot of power behind that statement because what you think about yourself, what you think about the world is who you are as a person in a sense. For example, if you think you're a horrible, rotten person, you will believe that about yourself and you will interact with your environment from that stance. So every time somebody shames you, it'll reinforce that. I'm a dirty, rotten person. And every time somebody challenges that negative, harmful thought about yourself, you'll minimize it, you'll deny it, you'll distort it in order to protect your own thoughts about yourself, even if they're harmful. And cognitive behavioral therapy, which we're going to actually talk about on one of the episodes about how they kind of see personality development. They have this concept of a self-fulfilling prophecy. And how they see that is, as you have these negative, repetitive thoughts, eventually you will create space, whether you realize it or not, in order to make that come true about yourself. You will make it happen. You will interact with your environment in order to reinforce it, to make it real. So that's why I felt that doing some episodes on how these various psychologists and thinkers, philosophers felt about how our personality develops is very important. It's important to understand that because that knowledge in and of itself can have a powerful impact on how we choose to engage our thoughts. The same goes with emotions. This is a very complex topic. And one thing that was helpful for me was to understand how individuals defined health, how they saw functioning of the mind in a way that was considered healthy. And I'm putting healthy in air quotes here. So today we're going to be talking about Alfred Adler. Now, Adler worked with Sigmund Freud, and there's some confusion here about what his role is in that. Stereotypically, if people even know who Adler is, and a lot of people do not, they think that he was a student of Freud and that he took psychotherapy into a new direction. Whereas if you talk to somebody who's classically trained in Adlerian therapy and individual psychology, they would say that Alfred Adler was a colleague of Freud who had disagreements with some of the premises that he had in his psychology and therefore left and started his own branch of psychotherapy, including his understanding of psychology. And there was a lot of folks that came from this school of thought, including people from Adler's own family, Rudolf Dreikers, Heinz and Rowena Ansbacher. These are just some of the big names that are connected to that. Sperry is another more modern name connected with that. Because Adlerian psychotherapy still currently exists and is being practiced even though Alfred Adler, if I remember correctly, passed away in the 50s. And there's a school in Chicago, Adler University, and there's a school here in Minnesota, the Adler Graduate School, that provide training and a college experience 
in Adler individual psychology. So Adler defined health as overcoming detachment and moving towards a positive social involvement. And this was something that was very profound during Adler's time. If you compare him to Freud, Freud was very interested in the individual and what was going on in the inner workings of the mind. Adler took that a step further and said, okay, yeah, that's important. And we interact with society. We interact in social environments. And he saw that we move toward a positive social involvement. So for example, if you were having difficulties in society for whatever reason, Adler would see that as an issue because you are not moving towards positive social involvement. In one of the textbooks on Adlerian individual psychology, there is an entire section on criminal thinking. And Adler saw the criminal mind as a mind that was detached. It found ways to maneuver in what might be considered creative ways, but ways that benefited the individual at the expense of society. Something that Adler thought that was in opposition to the way Freud kind of envisioned our human psyche was that Adler saw that mental processes and states such as conscious and unconscious mental activities work together instead of in opposition. So whereas you had these competing drives in Freud's view, Adler saw them as not competing, but actually working together. He felt that there was this moving from a felt minus to a perceived plus. An example of this might look like this. A felt minus could be something like, I feel lesser than my neighbor. My neighbor has a beautiful lawn, and my lawn always looks bad. I would love to have a lawn like my neighbor, but unfortunately my lawn, even though I do a lot of work to maintain it, looks horrible. So there's the felt minus is this incompleteness, this feeling of being less than in some way. And then the perceived plus is viewing something outside of ourselves and saying, I would be complete. I would feel more whole. I would not feel as less if I had this perceived plus. And the reason why it's perceived is is because you don't have it, which means that you have to put that through the filter of your perception. A phrase that we often hear that would give you an idea of this is, the grass is always greener on the other side of the fence. And then that's usually used as an illustration to say, you don't actually know what that means, why that grass is greener. Is it truly greener? Usually the indication is it's not usually greener. And then if you maintain your own grass, that's where contentment is. That's kind of what I mean by moving from a felt minus toward a perceived plus. Another thing that Adler was interested in was what he termed the style of life. He defined that as a combination of outer and inner characteristics of a person that makes a person distinct, that makes them independent, self-contained. And it also talked about how this individual being those things impresses themselves upon other people, how they interact with other people based on those attributes. An example of an outer attribute might be that we're physically fit. We spend a lot of time and effort building our bodies to look a certain way. And maybe some of the inner characteristics of that is that when you were a young person, there were messages in your life that said that for some reason, your body was not acceptable. Now, those might have been direct messages from your parents or caregivers or indirect messages through Hollywood and your community. And that's where Adler's focus on our early childhood memories became important. 
because he felt like you developed your personality through early interactions with your environment and your caregivers. And that leads us into Adler's view of human development. He had this concept of the family constellation, and he held that it was the total sum of relationships at the family level. And he felt that experiences throughout an individual's childhood contributed to their personality. And of course, now we would be like, no duh, right? But back then, that was profound. And a lot of what we know and consider today came from that line of thinking. But he also felt that there were certain experiences that were very important that happened early in our childhood. And so oftentimes, if you were to go see a classically trained Adlerian therapist, they might be really focused on some of your early childhood memories, what they would call early childhood recollections, and your perception of the world as told by your current self looking through the lens of your past self. And there's some complexity there, obviously. Adler would go on to do a lot of work in education and parenting. He had this belief that children could have experiences that could create harmful and negative qualities in their personality development. One of those being neglect. That children that were neglected had struggles in preparing for some of the important aspects of life. Like obtaining and interacting with a mate. Developing deep personal friendships. And preparing themselves for the work environment or their occupation, as well as this social interaction that was positive. So children that were neglected had struggles there. But he felt that children who were pampered struggled with those even more. And so he did a lot of work in that area. One of the things I felt was very interesting about his belief system is that he felt that children with infirmity could transform weakness into strength if a loving and supportive family member worked with them. He did a lot of, like, interviewing of individuals at the carnivals from his time. At least that's what my remembrance is. So I could be wrong about that. But he did interview individuals and how he would meet people that had some type of infirmity that they chose to strengthen or to overcome through strength in some way. And I remember hearing an example one time of one of these individuals was like a bodybuilder, so he was very muscular, but come to find out as a child he had some type of dysfunction with his arm. And so therefore used strength building to overcome that. And he would use examples of people who were in sports and athletics and oftentimes could trace back times where they had used that athleticism in order to combat some type of infirmity, which at the time was profound. Now, going back to the child who he considered pampered, with the children that were pampered, he felt they struggled with motivation to achieve their goals and were actually dangers to society because they had weak social interest, meaning that oftentimes there was an individual interest, but there wasn't a social interest, which made them dangerous for society. And then he went on to talk about the children who were neglected often developed a lack of trust in others, which made that difficult, which made finding a mate difficult, which made developing friendships difficult, which made careers difficult, and what made connecting in a positive way with society difficult. Adler was one of the first people to really dive into birth order, which is something that's really been strayed from currently in mental health. But during his time, he felt there was an importance to the birth order. He felt that the firstborn kind of enters the focus, but then is dethroned if there's a second child born into the family. So he did a lot of work with like what his thoughts around the birth order and the family 
meant for the family and the dynamics of the family. He felt that human phenomena are guided by mechanical forces, but he also allowed for goals and self-realization, which is soft determinism, and that people needed to connect positively with other people. And that's kind of how Adler defined personality development. And there's a lot of information here. There's multiple books written on Adler's theories and philosophies, and not just in the world of mental health. Like I said, eventually he would move on into the world of education. Something that I've always found very interesting is that there is this published guide on the mistaken goals of misbehavior that I find to be very good. Now, it doesn't mean that, yes, these four goals can explain every instance of misbehavior, but it helps provide an understanding that we as caregivers to our children mistake what we consider bad, and I'm using air quotes again, bad behavior. We mistake it for what our perception tells us versus why the child is actually doing that. Why is the child misbehaving? And oftentimes there's goals to achieve something, and we have mistaken that as caregivers. So like I said, it's not a one-size-fits-all diagram, but it often helps us think through our process as parents. Again, I'm glad you're tuning in. Next week, we're going to dive into another theory of personality development. So remember, you might be isolated, but you're not alone. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoyed this podcast enough to share it with friends and family, and reach out with any questions you might have about mental health, and we will do our best in future shows to answer those questions. And remember, it might feel like you're isolated, and maybe you are, but you're not alone.